0: Okay, just a couple of little things. Um, some of you said you wanted a book like this, so we ordered, you know, 40 or 50 of them. If you took a book, uh, at some point, give John Crow 10 bucks. That would be nice. Um, so there you go. Take one if you order one. If you didn't order one, then take it before the people who ordered it get there. <laughs> and then uh, I'll count noses and we can order some more. doesn't make any difference. Life's good. Thank you very much for that. Then, People's Resource Center gets them whatever money you toss in the basket this morning. People's Resource Center is great. We've got a few people who work over there, volunteer quite a lot, And Williams, uh, you know. And basically, People's Resource Center, kind of anything that you need, you know, and you don't have it, you can go to People's Resource Center, so food, clothes, other things like that. That's the last week. We can do that one if... If we have the old one, that would be fantastic. If you still have it, that's and that's my, you know, that's that's my mistake. Uh, then I'll pass the um, I'll pass the sheet around. Please sign in. Uh, we tried to put there were a lot of people kind of standing and stuff, and, and we tried to put some more seats in. I know you're sort of crammed in. Just so you know, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out too. We want to encourage people to come to Bible study. I think there's 186 chairs in here now, or something like that. So that's about the capacity. There's a couple of pushes and pulls. One is, you know, if we move into the gym, we're in a bigger space. We have to set up and tear down. Um, you know, in here, people have sort of said they like the fact that there's a round table and you can see the people across from you. You know, we could clearly just put up chairs, but then you kind of lose the fun. If we go into the sanctuary, you can't have a cup of coffee. So we're pushing and pulling, trying to figure it out. If you got a great idea, let me know. Um, we're, uh, you know, we're just trying to we're just trying to get it right. John, if you could go. You know, go, just kind of go right there. That'll be fine, okay? All right, so, uh, you know, I, you know, the most embarrassing thing or kind of the greatest insult to you is if I don't prepare enough stuff. And so I always tend to prepare too much and then, you know, I can spend weeks on something that I thought was going to just take a moment. But um, I'm just going to, I'm going to go back to my notes and I'm going to try to move through this last set of notes. And then you have a new set of notes this morning, number six, we probably won't get there, but we'll, you know, we'll move toward that for next week. But you can begin to read about that again, how to consider an icon and what an icon means, because we had a couple of things going on. All right, first, um, so now this is the sort of stuff that should roll off the top of your, uh, off the top of your head. Every week now, uh, almost every week, we have people come in who want to, who've heard about the place and want to see it. Almost every week somebody stops at the front desk and Martha has become the docent and you know Sandy sort of tracks them at the front door. Almost every week be- people want to see. Now, the good news is you're going to have friends who want to see too, maybe just on a weekend when you pop in and we're not all here or the door's open or you're here doing something else. If you can at least have just a little bit of a knowledge, uh, you'll help people understand. So, You know, the doors are round because we want to sort of draw you in, and the stone is from Jerusalem because we walk the way of Jesus, and the font is there because that's the threshold, and the Paschal Candle is there because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And you're pushed beyond that up to the altar where Jesus himself is present, and so in the liturgy we sing what they sing on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We sing that as we move up. We move up just like Jesus did to the temple, and, all the children of palm branches, all the people who followed him, um, and we move up toward the altar. So now just a couple of things, just sort of things to finish up that I probably didn't talk about. We did talk about the stone. It's unbroken because the, the church never has a schism. It's meant to be one holy Catholic apostolic church. You represent that by the stone, and you must understand, you know, that the altar is Christ. In fact, I was you know i have one of the advantages is that i get to sit closer to the altar i was i was just noticing how scarred up the altar is in some places for instance if you're on the altar guild look around the top where the stone sits it's not pure you know it's marked which is very interesting in the way that jesus will still have his marks in heaven so you know this is jesus and you know we we recognize that as being jesus as being the symbol of jesus we sense it you know we sense it because that's where jesus is you know, holy things get sensed. Uh, I should turn, you know, kind of the next step, just so you know at the sensor. I should actually turn and sense you as well. We're still trying to kind of get the timing down. We went from just sensing the altar to now sensing the altar and the people who serve at the altar. But realistically, we should sense you as the holy people of God. There should be a pause at the front. And we'll probably, we've, I've done it a time or two just to think about the timing. But really... Um, that's, it marks you as those who are being up, lifted up as a living sacrifice to God, Romans 12. So, you know, that belongs to you as well. So, okay, you know all of that. You know, keep that in your head. Okay, so here we go. Just a couple of things. One with the linens. We talked about this, you know, the dad came up and put it over the top of me. Our linens represent burial linens. So, you know, like the Shroud of Turin, like the linens that they used to bury Jesus, they usually went over front and back one for the body, one for the head. So when you go up there, you will see we always have two linens, one for the body, one for the head. Sometimes, in old churches, you will see a third linen underneath the other linens. Does anybody know why that is? It's called a sere linen. Anybody know this? And it's waxed. It's actually a waxed linen. And the reason it was waxed, Mary, you smarty pants, why do you do that, Mary? Right, before there was air conditioning, stone would stay colder than the rest of the room. Because it was colder, there'd be condensation. you get actually get, water would develop. And if you had water con- condensing on the top of the altar, it would ruin the linen. So you often had a sear linen, that was first, which was just a protective linen. And then you had two other pieces. You know, we have air conditioning, so we don't have it. It's really quite as simple as that. So usually now, in most altars, you'll see two pieces And um, one for the body, one for the head. Listen at Easter. I can't remember if we have John's Gospel or not this year, but listen at Easter in John's Gospel. makes a big deal out of the two linens. Everything there says, this is Christ. This is Christ unbroken. This is Christ who has five wounds. This is Christ who was buried. Burial linen, head and uh, face and body. This is Christ who rose from the dead. Okay, click ahead, John. I don't know exactly what I got going. Um... I probably should say something about this. Uh, we're casting around, and, and I said to you, you know, it was frightening. The things that we could see, like a baptismal font, you know, we could go and we saw that font in another church, so we knew that was going to be okay. The things that we could didn't, the things that we had to design on our own, you know, it's great fear and trepidation. We saw the pews, we knew that would be fine. There are things that we saw that we knew would be okay. Things we didn't see, like the platform, that was very nerve-wracking because it cost tens of thousands of dollars to build those things, and if you get it wrong, you know there's no going back. I remember I came in the day that they chalked it out on the floor. It looked like the mothership had landed. You know, <laughs> there's this huge, you know, they they chalked it out, they'd snapped the lines, and I'm like, you know, what have we done? You know, because it it was just so big because there was nothing else in the room too, and we'd been used to walking back and forth and all that. Um, But both the baptismal, the marble bit around the baptismal font, and also the altar piece itself, were both stolen um, from very reputable sources. Uh, Which gave me great confidence then that they would work out. So basically what happened is I was through art books and travel books and looking at things and looking at pieces for a couple of years. You know, how are we going to do this? And then it occurred to me that we could take some classic designs that were three-dimensional and we could render them either two-dimensional in the case of the marble piece or three-dimensional but reduced in the case of the altar platform. So the marble piece and the uh, platform are both basically cupolas, domes from Rome where we saw the design, you know, sort of classic design that had been refined. So, you know, I took these to Bruce Klein and said, you know, can you reduce this to, in one sense, flat, two-dimensional, and in another sense, three-dimensional but lower. How can that work? So, for example, um, this one right here, B, which is uh, the Gesu, which is, a, is a, a church from the 1580s in Rome. I mean, that is your, can you recognize that? Outside, is your, that's your altar rail. Do you see that? So, we got eight sides. Now, there were things that didn't work, like if you actually kept the circle inside right there, we were too far away to you. We weren't able to give you the host. So, you know, you were like, you know, you're over there. So, there were things that had to be adjusted, you know. And so, that circle then came down on the floor. We wanted to make the connection between the circle around the font, that red stone, and then the same red stone is picked up in the round circle. So, what you get at the font is nourished there. So. And, and Bruce did a great job. I just want to say, you know, that was a big risk for Bruce, being an architect when you're in the congregation. If it goes well, fantastic. But, of course, if it doesn't go well, you're looking for another church because people are crabby. So, um, you know, that was where, that's the one for the altar platform. And you can see how these were, you know, they're three-dimensional. What we did was just flatten them down or squeeze them down to make them work. Okay, go to the next thing. Let's see what we got here. Uh, Walther graduate, right? Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, long-lost Walter Wal- Walther graduate, Mark uh, Miller working in Glen Ellen, got a workshop. Witch- he'd never quite done anything like this, which is just the kind of guy we like. They don't know enough to know how hard it's going to be. <laughs> you know, what the risks are. So, you know, he put this all together, and we still have a little bit of work we need to do. There's some things that need to be touched up, and sometimes Um, you know, someday we'll touch it up when we use it a while and we figure it all out. It's like the lighting and the sound and the floor. We got in, we're using things, we're making notes, we're figuring out. Little by little it gets better and better. And then at some point, um, you know, we'll probably, you know, we'll need to do some more work on things, but, you know, it's all coming around. For example, the lighting. The lighting is not finished. It's a disadvantage to us. Partly what we want to do, we want to control you with the lighting. So, you know, on Saturday nights, for example, when there's 100 people, What we wanted to do, in theory, there are 32 zones for the lighting. We basically want to shut the lighting off and all the outside things and force you to sit together. Now, if you want to sit alone in the dark, okay, but you can't see anything. But, you know, we it's it's too bad now people have had the advantage of finding whatever spot they want because really when you have 100 people in a place that seats 400 people, you know, the whole key is, you know, squeezing them together so that you get some volume and feel community and feel in. So, all right, let's see what we got next here. Um, You could just see how the pieces, the the round piece was cut out for the stone to be laid in. And you know, these different colors of wood. And even these are different colors of wood, and they were stained differently, so you have this gradation. You have the round circle of the same red stone that's around the font, and the eight sides. So you pick up the eight sided burst of the eighth day that's in the font. So the eight sided burst of resurrection, new creation. What you got in the font is nourished at the altar. So the font always pushes you to the altar. One baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the creed says. We do that one time. The Eucharist is, do this. It's an iterative verb, which means, do it over and over and over and over and over again in remembrance of me. So, it's very clear. You baptize once, you Holy Supper forever. You baptize once, and it pushes you to a thing that becomes the center of your life. Why is it the center of your life? Herman Sassa. the Holy Supper is Christ. And that's why the prayer says, your body, blood, soul, and divinity. What that phrase is trying to capture is the council of, of uh, Chalcedon, where we say, the whole Jesus, you get everything that was Jesus, you get it all with his body and blood. He's not bits and pieces, you get him all. Okay? Uh, let's see what you got next. Uh, yeah, so just this, you know, it was it was quite remarkable as this was going up, and, and you know, just a couple things to show you. Let's see what else you got. All right. Um, <coughs> So, you know, we hit what we were aiming at. And in general, you know, we're pretty happy. We wanted to be able to keep moving. And I think we've kind of settled on six altar assistants. If we could have seven at a very busy time where one person would stay at the altar, but six seems to be the right number. You know, whether, uh, just so you know, when we come to Christmas and we have you know, four, 400 people in a service, that's going to be another test for us. That'll be a new thing, whether we'll have more, whether we could really figure that out or what we would do, I don't exactly know. Um, you know, we want to give you enough time to rest, and yet we don't want to keep you from opening your presents. So we don't quite know, you know, how we're going to do that, but we're working at it. But I want to, you know, thank the guys who have been, been, you know, gradually learning and helping, and that's been a very, very good thing. Now uh, a couple of things for you to notice: um, How many candles on the altar? Six. Now that's not always so helpful because six is your—that's your number and Adam's number. It's also the day that Jesus went to the Good Friday is day six, so it is the day that Jesus goes to the cross. So it's not an irredeemable number, but it's also the devil's number six, six, six. So a six just gives you pause. You get six sides on the great. You've got six six candles. Now, why do we have six candles on the altar? Anybody got an idea? Because there's not really six. That's right, there's seven. Where is number seven, my friend? Thank you. So, we all sing for evening prayer. When we sing evening prayer, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the light no darkness can overcome. Stay with us for it is evening and the day is far gone. It's not actually six. It's actually seven. And it's meant to press you to the notion that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. So it is six. One, two, three, four, five, six if you count them. But on days when you don't have, if you would celebrate evening prayer, we would actually move um, or could actually move. Uh, if I say we would, then you'll catch me as soon as I forget to do this. But... Uh, the arrangement would change. And you would basically have, it, rather they're, they're in a triangle now so that you can see the Eucharist. They're, they're pinched to the side a little bit so that you can see through to the Eucharist. If we, we played with all kinds of different arrangements. We tried to give you the arrangement that gave you the best sight line to see the body and, body and blood of Jesus. The body of Christ, amen. The blood of Christ, amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always, amen. So that you see what is saving you. What saves you is the touch of Jesus in the Eucharist. So you can't have extra things like the candles get in the way. On the other hand, the candles are not just... um, There's there's a practical reason for it. It's not just Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Why else do you have candles? Why Why else are they there? Any ideas? Sorry? Yes, because as you know, our Lord Jesus Christ on the night. So when I was in Russia, the Russian Lutherans say... On the night he was betrayed, and then the guy with a big thing goes click, and he lights the candles. On. I'm like, what, really? So right in the middle of the, you know, they're just they're, they actually light the candle. Well, why is that? Because it's night, and Jesus will need candlelight if he needs. If that's what he had, you know. He had oil lamps, he had candlelight. He needs to be able to see. So you have this, you know, images can play out in more than one way. It's night. On the night he was betrayed, so it's night. You have candles. You have candles in a particular number. you have six, but really, you have seven. If you don't have the Eucharist, you put them in a line: one, two, three, four, five, six, and you put the seventh one, you put the crucifix here as if it was um, the last candle. Or frankly, if you don't have the crucifix on the altar, you count this one. So you'd count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. makes sense. So there is you know, there is a kind of a method to why you would have. You know, six, not five, not four, not nine. There's a reason, you know, there's a reason you have, you have numbers. So, all right, so linens and candles. What else is on that page, John? Keep going. Let's see what comes up next. Uh, yeah, that was just a little bit closer so that you could see it. I'm going to come, oh, look at that. That's fun. Hold on. Uh, we're going to go to that in just a sec. Go back one. All I want, is, all I want you to remember is the proximity here. So when the host, or when the, cha- when the, when the chalice is elevated, you know, the goal was to get it, you know, within distance of the, of the icon. We didn't want to clank it, but we did want you to see that there is this proximity, tie, you know, what's bleeding out of the icon is bleeding into the cup. We're going to look at some artwork about that in just a second. But it was meant to say, what's on the cross is on the altar. That's the deal. When Lutherans say true body and blood, when they say in, with, and under, what they're trying to say is what bled on the cross, body and blood, what bled on the cross is found on the altar. And so you have this proximity between them. So the only reason I did that is for that. Now, go to the next one. Um, this is the studio where the icon was made. And this was you know, pure joy to go and watch over months to watch the pieces put together. We've made some initial... Uh, we're tra- Martha right now is trading schedules with Meltem Octus, our iconographer. We're going to try to get her here during Lent to do... Uh, let me just ask you a question. Just to see If we had her come... So I'm going to give you a choice between Saturday, like a Saturday morning or afternoon, or Sunday after church. Who likes Saturday, if you were going to come? And who likes Sunday? Oh, that's very interesting, because we would have screwed that up. So... Um, so like Sunday after church, that's what we'd do after the late service, that would be good? Because you're already here? Like, would we have lunch together and stuff then? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. well of course we would. <laughs> eat, oh yeah, sure we could, okay. i have got to drive through the McDonald's, I'd like $200 hamburgers, no cheese, and I'd like the dollar fries, 200 of them please. Well, there were about 19 of them. We just got to sign them up, Martha. Keep going. So, all right, well, we'll think about, Martha, you and I, when we talk about, she's got a schedule and she's got tons of stuff going on. We're not the only person. But one of the great joys was we had a couple of chances to, this is an interesting, you know, back and forth negotiation. Um, you know, just in terms of time and in terms of value and is it going to work and how are we going to do this? And so, um, and we went in to check occasionally. So she has this, um, remarkable, as I suppose all artists do, they work in places that are just, I mean, this is just our student, this is our workspace, this is not our living space, this is our workspace, which I'd be happy to live in. I mean, it's a garage that has actually a garage door, because how are you going to get things like a big icon in and out, right? So he's got, it, one one wall lifts up, which I noticed at the very hip room and board, they also have a garage door that lifts up right in the middle of the showroom, like, well, Kirby's getting a garage door for Valentine's Day, right in the living room. <laughs> Don't tell her because it won't be a surprise then. So you can see how you can see how these things go, and she'll tell you about all these different pieces. But this is actually 24 karat gold leaf. So you know, as the price of gold was going to 900, 1,000, 1,100, she has a she has gold leaf that flips like you would flip pages in a notebook, and you take it out and you actually rub it on. So the guys were very careful when they were putting that up. Not to scuff the gold leaf, you know. If you scuff it, it, it you know it rubs off. Actually, um, and you know around the nimbus, the halo, and all that. We can talk about that. But you can see how it gets sketched out. It gets painted layer after layer after layer, and that's why it has that glow about it because it's several. It's layer. It's several thin layers, layer after layer after layer after layer. It's very intensive work. Um, but to go and see that was really quite remarkable. So that was kind of a midway check at one point. What do you have next? Oh, and that was the day we walked in to see it, which was quite stunning. Um, and you kind of get the scale. Now, she is a smaller woman, but um, Martha, is it seven feet? Can you remember? Is it seven feet tall? Is it seven by seven? Seven by seven? Yeah. It wasn't quite done yet. Yeah, that was we were still kind of getting the last bit. But to walk in and kind of see it the first time was quite a... Yeah, it's it's quite a thing, you know. And you're right there with it too. I mean, it's very interesting to be up close to it and have a Jesus that's as big as you are. So you do have kind of a life-size, you know, a life-size Jesus. We'll talk about that in just a second. Let's see what else we've got here. Oh, yeah, that was just to give you the candles looking. And then, are we done? Yes. Can we go to the new one then? Let me just see if. um, All right. So I'm just. Let me just take a look at my. Notes here. These are the last notes from, uh, it would have been number five. Okay, you probably don't even have this in your hands anymore, but uh, that's okay. So I'll just read you two things. Um, You know, this wrap up, number 18. In the Lutheran Church, the altar bears a threefold significance. It serves, first of all, as a portrayal of the sacrificial death of Christ. So The altar is there because you kill things on an altar. You live and die because Jesus lived and died in your place. It's brutal, you know, it's ancient, but it's true. Um, We still sacrifice people all the time, even though we don't act like we do or we think that that belongs to another regime. Anytime you send somebody to war, they're going in your place, you know, you know, and they get taken apart, body and blood, for you. It's, it's kind of the most basic thing, that somebody else um, dies so that you can live. So we always remember that, and that's you know, another reason why you put the body on the cross. But, but truly, I mean, the body on the cross is summed up, you know, Gregory uh, of Nyssa, what he's not assumed he doesn't save. You know, he takes your body and blood so that he can save it. He he recapitulates, he redoes your life. His life is your life done over again. And then he gives it back to you as a gift and says, there, the perfect life. That's yours now. You never could do it on your own. I did it for you. And he did that in flesh and blood just like yours. In our most lucid days, we very much have to remember, I mean, when we have horrible things happen to us, we just go crazy. Crazy. We go crazy in the sense that we're, in some sense, the way the Vicar's sermon was, we're irrational. We don't see the world for what it is. Which is why it's so important for you to go to church, go to the Eucharist, go to Bible study, say your (coughs) prayers, because bad days are coming for every one of us. And you need the resources. The resources of the Gospel are cumulative. They do, in fact, build up in you so that when horrible things come you have resources to deal with it and you're not broken. People who've never, when you say, and I've heard this said a hundred times since I've been a pastor, when people say, I don't know how people who aren't in the church go through a funeral. I mean, basically what you're confessing is, in the church, the gospel fills you up so that when you have terrible things happen, and you will, you know, it's calm now, but there there are clouds on the horizon and there will be a storm. You know, when it comes, you know what to do. And the scriptures are most proud of, are most encouraging of, hold up as an example those people who, when trouble comes, are able to hold on, stay strong, even live an example. The ancient, you know, you know, my favorite is probably the guy. I gotta look it up now, but um, one of the ancient fathers, they took him to burn him on the stake, and as he burned, they said he baked like bread. You know, what does that mean? You know, it means something about the ability to absorb all the evil that the world brings. Not because you're so good, but because Christ is in you. Galatians 2.20, not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So you're, coming, you're building up all these resources. Uh, and the world's going to be a tough place, but you have the resources. If you, when you're challenged, you say, I'm baptized and the body and blood has been put into me. It's this sacrifice that is put into you. Secondly, the altar is a physical symbol of the gracious presence of God. So we respect it as if it were God. When we sense things, live things get a triple double two in the middle, two left, two right. Although I have to say, I've been watching um, cardinals. I just have watched a couple of things because I'm watching everything now in terms of, and I have seen um, cardinals go triple, 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 which I don't get, but I've got to find a cardinal and ask him. Um, But the normal thing is a living thing gets a triple double. So you would get a a triple double one, two, three. Uh, I would, one, two, three. The altar would, it's alive. The crucifix does, it's alive. It's Jesus, it's the symbol of Jesus who lives. Um, The congregation does, they're alive. They're the saints, you know. Other things, you know, don't always. Um, It it just, you know, you sort of move it around things that are to be hallowed. But, you know, you're alive. Here it is. The altar is the physical symbol of the gracious presence of God among us in word and sacrament. Um, In this sense, the altar functions like the Ark of the Covenant, which was the physical symbol of God's presence among the children of Israel. Even the high priest, you know, went in in the dark. And he couldn't see it and he couldn't touch it. Because you know, I know it's made out of gopher wood or out of out of acacia wood. I know that gopher wood is the ark. Sorry, I know the big ark, Noah's ark. I know that it's made out of wood. I know that it's not a person of the Trinity. I know, but it's divinized by the presence of God there. You know where I showed you that tabernacle last week? But where those two angels bow down with their wings? That's where you splash the blood of the sacrifice. It's there. Jesus sits on that throne. He's there. And so you wouldn't act as if it's a nothing. That's where Jesus is. That's why we reverence. That's why we bow. That's why we genuflect. That's why we kneel. That's why you kneel. He's there. That's why we sing, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then, it, then we have the Eucharist. And then we sing, O oh Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. I can die now according to your word, for my eyes have seen the salvation You know, I've seen it. I've actually seen it. You see Jesus in the host, in the blood. I mean, we sing it. I've seen it. So when you've seen that, then all is well with you. Okay. So it's the physical place uh, where we do that. In many of the historic churches in Central Europe, a carved representation of the Shekinah, the cloud that rested over the ark, between the outstretched arms of the cherubim, normally like this, was incorporated into the pulpit and the altar to remind the congregation that the God who led them through the wilderness with pillars of cloud and fire and who dwelt within the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle and the temple now comes to his people at the altar. So first it's the sacrifice. Then it's the presence. Because if the sacrifice is you know somewhere else, if it's in Carroll Stream or it's in Fort Wayne, if it's somewhere else, that doesn't help you. You just know that it's there somewhere. A God who is far away doesn't help you. You need a God who's on you, a God who's near you, a God who touches you. It's the gospel for today. You know, Naaman doesn't get healed unless he touches the water according to the word of God. You don't get healed unless you touch the body and blood according to the word of God. The leper doesn't get healed unless he gets the touch and word of Jesus. Okay, it's all about, it's all about word and touch word in sacrament. Sacrament is just a touch word, incarnation, right? So first the sacrifice, then the physicality of it. Finally, the altar is a witness to the use of the Lord's Supper as an essential component of corporate worship in the Christian congregation. Okay. So then um, I gave you, long ago, far away, you know, one of the great plans was to rewrite or was to write an introduction to every piece kind of as we went, and used to get those on blue inserts. And I gave you the one um, that was the insert for the altar. And, you know, it was lying back there. But it sort of brings you up to, the spe- up to speed where we are. So at the center of the sanctuary stands the altar. The font opens the door to it. The pews embrace us and prompt us toward it. So this, there's this hug of the pews, right? We were very concerned about warmth and intimacy to be pulled forward toward. The organ layers sound around it. The platform kneels beneath it. The crucifix ho- hovers above as part of it. The victory window extols it. The Christ descends upon it at the Eucharist. The altar is the center of all things. The rest I think we've done. But the altar is the center of your life, you know? And then there's everything else that's kind of uh, we've done this the mosaic bits, the nicks, the taps, the single slab. Um, the kiss if you want, the wash if you can, and then gather together where Christ ascends. We're forgiven. And then, boom, we're sent back out to um, do some work. Anything else? So there you go. There's your altar. So at least you can think about it in that way. You should, you should know what's going on there. That's Jesus. Why is that Jesus? Because Jesus puts himself there. That's his throne. That's where he sits. And everything about it represents Jesus. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Just any leftover questions about that stuff? Karen Crawford, always countable on for a question, which is what makes you one of the great things, Karen. Go. No, um, we probably we're about 535 on the floor. But we don't normally, nobody sits in the chairs behind. And then technically, there's a couple hundred people that could sit up in the balcony, but the musicians have revolted. They were like Attila and the Huns when they came over the hill and took that space. You know, and no, we're, men fear to go there without their musical credentials. So, um, yes, right. Oh, yes, if you'll, oh yeah, if you'll, if you'll drink the Kool-Aid. Yes, oh, no doubt about it. They'll, yeah, no, if you'll drink the Kool-Aid, they'll take you. No doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, there's room up there, Karen, if you want, if you want to be one of them. Uh, by the way, the music was brilliant this morning. I mean, it was just start to finish brilliant. Thank you very much for that. It was just every last piece was fun. And Jonathan, you know, he's too shy to put his name on the things he writes, but we try to force him to do that. That's a very nice little piece that you're getting the hang of now, so that was very good. And I wasn't sure the first, and I told Jonathan, I wasn't sure the first hymn would work as an entry hymn, but frankly, it was quite striking. Uh, so, you know, you got to listen to your musicians. That, I, was it, who sang? Who, was it Peter or Chuck? Who was it? Peter, Peter yeah. It was unbelievable. It was otherworldly, you know. Just to be able to kind of enter to that, it was really quite, quite, quite nice. So thank you for that. So anyway, there's, there's room up there. But one of the great things, Karen, is that the, whole, the first part of the balcony... Let's musicians set up their things and leave them. Imagine if we had to you know, rebuild the altar every week, rebuild the lectern, rebuild everything. That's what we were forcing the musicians to do. So, one of the great things is, is that they can leave their stuff and it makes it easier for them to serve. It's, so, we want it to be easy for them. So, anyway, life's good. Any other questions about any of that stuff? Mr. Lee, and then I'll come back to you. Yes, Mr. Lee. Yes, behind, uh, I showed, uh, yes, the, the, cru- the, the crucifix on a pole. Yes. Is that what you mean? You know, well, I don't know if that's a crucifix. To have well, at least it is, at least it's John. So the question is, are you talking about the bronze that was on the pole? Right. The bronze Jesus on the pole. Well, what I've learned since I said to you, write me with questions and the ways you interpret this icon. The floodgates come open, which is great. <laughs> and I, I honestly spent the week reading things going... I never saw that. For example, when we get there, somebody said to me, and of course the iconographer knew when she put eight points on Jesus' beard. I'm like, eight points on Jesus' beard? How did I miss that? Like, have you ever counted the points on the beard? I still haven't looked at it. Well, you have it in front of you. Does he really have eight points on the beard? I'm like, who's that good, you know? So anyway, I was only giving you um, what seemed to me to be the obvious connection between John 3 and not having a crossbar on there. It's, I mean, Jesus himself says, as the snake was lifted up, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, and then the rest of John says, and receive his glory. So he gets his greatest glory on the cross. That was my interpretation and connection. I didn't see another connection, but of course there always can be, right? So did you see more, different, other? Oh, uh- Yeah, right in there. uh, That's right. He pulls you you up in his lifting. That's right. John 3 and John 8 do go together. I mean, you get these two things of that he... It's this very clever thing that he does where he ties himself to the Old Testament prophet Moses. He ties himself to the saving grace of the thing lifted up. And then he says, the Son of Man... He's always saying... It wasn't his time to be glorified. It wasn't his hour to be glorified. And then he slips in. If it's in John 8, I'd have to look. He slips it in where he says, his greatest glory is being lifted up on the cross. And then you go, how could that be a man's greatest glory? Until you remember that the word glory actually is a technical word in scripture for the holiness of heaven when it descends to earth. So heaven is holy. When, that he- when the holiness of heaven breaks down into our world, it's called glory. So we just read about the glory of the cloud, the Shekinah over the temple. That's that's the glory. Or there's a reason that the angels sing on Christmas, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. The great holiness of heaven has come down to earth. Where is it? Where is it? Everybody should look around. You think it's going to be this spectacular thing. And where is it? It's in the manger, of course, right? So all those things fit together. But I, I will only give you, you could, so John was clever enough to get this up, I can, I can only tell you it's extraordinarily odd not to have a crossbar. That's just a very odd thing. Um, about the, it's a very odd thing if the body is dead. You do see when the body's alive, and Jesus is actually looking at you and often is vested as a king. He has vest, kingly vestments rather than Eucharistic vestments, and then also a crown then it's not so strange because you almost get this sense of ascension and his hands are often turned out rather than turned in and down or na- in some sense where that they'd be nailed. And so he's alive and blessing you and you sort of get this sense of he hovers above you in ascending, you know, and he is drawing you up. So um, this just struck me as an odd thing. I hadn't seen much of that, but I'm sure I haven't been enough places, you know. You've got to go more places and see. There's smart people everywhere. I was going to say, in, in some of the... Um, yes. You will see a snake in a chalice. We might even... And I went back to see if that... Because I, know around Can, I have a question for you. Okay, so snake in a chalice. little aside here, okay? <laughs> uh, St. John Lutheran Church and snake in a chalice. Do you remember that there's a story in the Bible about somebody being poisoned because there's a snake stuck into the chalice? Somebody told me that there was a snake in that chalice and that got erased because people were too offended by it. Is that true? I, or is that mythic? I, Uh, a what's a lunette? Uh, an architectural piece over a door. Okay. Them you walked in that way, right? You would oh, have walked in right in through front that front window. Front You've got your old timers, do you remember this? You there. used front front to walk through that door? Okay. Up, and okay. There was a window over the top? The a clear window or a stained glass window? Really? They were very bold back then. What happened? Does anybody know? <laughs> I wasn't a brown <laughs> But you might be able to see it in the black and white book that Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, what you saw in the back of the church was also a double lancet, like, you know, double gothic window on the side. It was not meant to be the way it was. They combined windows to create that. Got it. I've never seen that one. I've never seen it in that book, although I maybe wasn't paying close enough attention. I could with no, that. I just. Yeah. Yes, you will, because there. Yeah, there is an ancient. I, I gotta remember. I gotta remember this. I gotta check the story. There is the story about him trying to be poisoned, and the snake comes out of the chalice, and he gets it, in it and he, but it doesn't die. And then people say, "Ooh, ah, right. must be a must be an apostle." I gotta get. I gotta find that right. story. That John, uh, yeah. He was the one who didn't die, and they couldn't get to him. Right. Yeah. There was a Byron. <laughs> It can't be. We just got started. All right, Byron. No, go ahead, real quick. We can. My the feedback. uh, Just uh, is anybody having trouble hearing right now? It is much improved. Are you still having a little trouble? No. Are you okay? (laughs) He wasn't. He actually wasn't using the speakers. He he just asked. Those are eight, those flat pieces on the side, those are speakers. Um, they were, when the speaker guys came back out, they said, we have two solutions, they'd be $22,000 and $35,000 to try the next thing, and we hope that would work. So John and I you know, looked at each other, and went upstairs and had iced tea. Uh, you know, That's just the numbers, we just can't, right right now we can't think about numbers like that. So we have a member in the congregation who manufactured these speakers for, they're meant only for voice, And he said, You know, I'll give you eight of them and you can give them a try. So they're temporarily hung. The reason the wires are exposed and the reason they're on the banner brackets is we just wanted to see if they'd work. And we've added them sequentially two, four, six, eight. So there's eight up, and I think there's eight. I think this is the first week with eight, is it not? I think it's the first week with eight. So in general, can you hear? Okay, so in general, we're going to fix those. Now, the next step, just so you know, and this is always the danger with kind of saying this out loud. We probably want to bring them back against the wall, not against the wall, because they have to vibrate to work. But maybe six inches off the wall, so they disappear even more. And then we got to test the quality, and we have to we have to use the we have to balance the quality and the aesthetic in there, because they're not. I don't want to lose those brackets to banners, someday, you know. And if you install them on there, then you've lost that, and then you've limited your space again. Um, we think they'll work. The guys have been very patient; who've been installing them. We'll let you know, but we think we've got it licked. So that was good. And we think it was free. Well, we know it was free. So we, 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 don't, we think we don't have to spend any more money. We think it's free. We had to buy a little speaker wire, but it was great. So, all right, ready? We got to go um, take home the thing about the icons and read that through. We'll talk about the icon and how it gets put together, what it means next time. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done